Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in Deuteronomy chapter 8 today. As we continue our, our study on drawing close to God, as he explained it to the Israelites in, in, in Deuteronomy before they entered the promised land. In, in the 1930s, a group of German theologians led by Gerhard Kittel began in the ultimate Greek dictionary. And when I say ultimate, I've got it on my shelf. Thank you to my father who gave me his copy. It's 10 volumes long. It's enormous. There, there is a little, and, and, it's, and it's, it's the theological dictionary of the New Testament by Gerhard Kittel and others. There is a one-volume version, and in college we just called it Little Kittel. Um, but there is, but, but I'm, I'm grateful that I've got the 10-volume set, and grateful to my father for collecting that. Thousands of pages long, an, an incredible feat. Took, took years to complete. The problem was, remember when I said it took years to complete? Remember when I said it began? The 1930s. There's a, in Germany. Obviously, there came to be a problem as they were writing it. Um, the World War II broke out. Adolf Hitler came into power. And that threw them off. What would you do about that? Uh, Some German theologians, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, took a stance against Hitler and died for it. Kittel, Gerhard Kittel and his compatriots, made a different decision. They decided that the world needed this Greek dictionary more than it needed them to take a stand against the evils of Nazi Germany, and so they kept their mouth shut. In fact, quite frankly, Gerhard Kittel joined the Nazi party. Uh, they remained silent. The dictionary is wonderful. I, it's great, great. I, I mean, I, it got me through college and my master's degree. I'm very, I like having it, but I don't like how we got it. The Holocaust took place, and and maybe their voice could have made a difference. And even if it didn't make a difference, it still would have been the right thing to do. Those scholars had a mistaken understanding. They could have written that after World War II. In fact, Gerhard Kittel was brought up on war crimes. Those scholars had a mistaken understanding of their own importance. I don't think it was what God wanted. Other people could have written a a Greek dictionary, a 10-volume Greek dictionary later. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 we are reminded that to obey the Lord is better than sacrifice. I'm not sure that the Greek dictionary was worth the lives. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced it wasn't. What about us? Are our own efforts so important in our mind that we compromise things that God wants from us? You know, some... Sometimes I think we forget that we're not doing God any favors. <laughs> we're, we need him. He does not need us. He wants us. He does not need us. 
we forget ourselves. We forget that God sets the standards, and we don't get to choose to compromise his standards. We don't get to choose what is righteous. He chooses what is righteous. And so we are in Deuteronomy chapter 8 today, and we will see as we read this what God does for us and what our response should be. So we'll pick our way through this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. The Lord humbles us so that we may remember him. We... We're supposed to recognize, I say supposed to, we used to, I think, I just think that the the U.S. culture has moved away from this as far as it can. We used to recognize that humility is a virtue, and and it's an elusive virtue, because the minute you think, I'm humble, (laughs) you're not, right? It's one of the hardest virtues to gain, because as soon as you think you're there, you're probably not. It is foreign to our world, but it is essential for a Christian. I want to take a look at that. I, I, I think it's human nature to want it to be about us. So many people want the attention on them. If there's a conversation going on and everybody's not paying attention to them, they feel that there's something wrong. My, my best friend in high school had an African gray parrot that they got from Africa. He was, his parents were missionaries in Africa and they came back from Africa with this. I loved this African gray parrot. I loved going over to, over to their house uh, watching movies and listening to the snide comments the parrot would make in the background. Those are smart critters. Um, and, it, and, and, and it was one of these things, if there was enough noise in the room, the parrot would listen. But if the, if, if the room got quiet, that parrot would start filling the noise. And there are a lot of people that do that. That, that if, there, if there's a quiet moment, it's awkward and they need to fill it. And there's a lot of people that if there's a conversation going on and all eyes aren't on them, they try to draw that to them. It's It's an insecurity and it's a selfishness. Humility is not making it about us. And and that almost is antithetical to, to American culture these days. It is human nature to want it to be about us, to be the star of the show. It's not about us. It's not about you. You know, and and this isn't the same as you know, some people are outgoing and some people are shy, but that's not what we're talking about. You can be outgoing and still be humble and not be making it about, about you. Um, you can still be shy and still try to still be, make it about you and be the, and, and be the star of the show. Uh, and, and again, part of this is human nature. Our perceptions, we all live in our own heads. Our, our world is, in some ways, the center of our world. We just have to recognize that our world is not, is not the center of everybody else's world, that... that we aren't the stars of the reality show that, that God is in control. 
You know, one of, the, one of the ways we see this play out is that we can have comparatively a minor disaster in the U.S. and have a major disaster in Singapore or Bangladesh or Taiwan or somewhere like that. And the news will cover the American stuff. You know, five people die in a flooding accident in the U.S., 5,000 people are swept away in a flood in, in Taiwan. And we'll cover the five before we'll cover the 5,000 because it's about us. And some of that is nearness and some of that's relatability. And some of that's just selfishness. We see the world through our eyes, through our perspective. But God sees a bigger world. And we're just a, a, a small, we individual are just small pieces of this bigger world. He wants us to see the world from his standpoint, from his point of view, to keep it in his perspective, and it's not about us. It's natural to feel that we're the center of the universe. It may even be normal, but Christians aren't called to a normal life. If, our, if God is to be the Lord of our life, then we can never be the center of our life. He must be the center of our life, and we have to be humble. And that's a struggle. It is a real struggle to live a humble life. I like to talk. I, I, I like to talk, and, and that, that's something that, maybe, maybe it's from being a preacher, but I've probably always been this way. Um, I'm a talker, and then that gets me into trouble because the more I talk, the more I might talk about myself. But it's not supposed to be about me. It's supposed to be about God. Um, this is nothing new. Israel had this trouble back in the, back in the in the. In the Old Testament, they, were, they, they had a problem of pride and arrogance. Look at how much God loves us. We're his chosen people. And so God humbled them. He allowed them to end up, he says, in a problem that they couldn't solve. And then he solved it for them, not because he's cruel, but he wanted to remind them of their dependence on him, that they are not great. Their job is to be humble before them, and he is the one who is great. And it's the same today. God won't lead most of us into the desert. But the world is still full of situations that I can't solve. Boy, last two years, there are problems in this world that I, I, I have 0% ability to solve. But he is still God and he is still in control. Um, this humbles me. This teaches me that I need him. I need to learn that lesson. I am not indispensable. I need God. I need his church. The church does not need me, even the preacher. There are other people that can preach out there. I am not essential, and that is important to know. And when I get that in, in, and then I'm grateful that despite being not essential, that he puts me to use, that he loves me and lets me serve in his church. God doesn't need me. He wants me, but he, and, and that's a better place. He doesn't need me. Uh, I need him. I'm reminded that I cannot live on bread alone or on my own efforts. I live by God's grace and by God's word. He teaches me dependence because dependence on him is necessary if I am to be saved. And I think that applies to all of us. So let's keep reading. Verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, 
vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. All right, so we've talked before about the relationship between disciples and discipline. They are the same word. They're related. If we want to be disciples of Christ, then we must accept the Lord's discipline. If we want to be children of God, we need discipline. And, and parents get this. Discipline is necessary. We, we all know that undisciplined kids are a problem. Kids that are allowed to, to, to just do whatever they want to grow up to be immature, selfish, undisciplined people who, 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 are, who are problems for everybody. Discipline is necessary for kids to grow up, to be wise, to be healthy members of society. And it's the same with the kingdom of God. The Lord disciplines us so that we will grow up. In a child's life, discipline goes hand in hand with obedience. The two are linked, and we know, and we know this. My parents disciplined me when I was disobedient. Um, I swear that there was a one-year period in Minneapolis. I, I, there had to be 52 Sundays in a row when my mom drugged me out of the church and spanked me on the front steps of the church. I, I swear that that, maybe I'm misremembering, but I, rem- I have to remember 52 Sundays in a row where she did that. Probably wasn't that bad, but, but they absolutely, if I acted up in church, I was out the door, spanked, had about three minutes to quiet down, <laughs> uh, get, get brought back in. I, I, appre- I, I needed the discipline. I, I did. Um, my, uh, uh, when I didn't follow what mom and dad said, uh, that, that discipline came. Israel was disciplined by God. And not because God was malicious, not on a whim, not because he was cruel, but he wanted them to learn obedience because when we obey God's rules, the world goes better for us. It's not that God just arbitrarily said, you know, red is bad and blue is good. It's not some kind of arbitrary decision. Sin is bad because sin is bad, because it ruins our lives and it separates us from God, and righteousness is good. God desires our obedience, and he disciplines us like a parent for our own good. Now, somebody might say, oh, Jason, but I'm an adult. I'm not a kid anymore. I don't need discipline. But we don't... We don't really believe that, do we? Life is not long enough that we have learned all of the lessons in life and we are now perfectly mature and never make mistakes. Goodness. <laughs> Turn on the news and you can just see that humans can't get it right. We do need discipline. Some of the dumbest decisions in our world are certainly made by adults, not kids. This life isn't long enough to learn all the lessons and so God still, through his word, and through consequences of our actions, disciplines us. Now again, most of us will experience more of an indirect hand, God's hand in our life, um, than, than what we see sometimes in the Old Testament that was very direct. Um, uh, less, probably not going to get conquered by Assyrians in our lifetime, right? And likewise, probably not a lot of lightning bolts and fire from heaven and that level of pyrotechnics. But uh, I do think that God allows us to experience the consequences of bad and sinful decisions. Uh, We live in a world where too many Christians 
think that cause and effect shouldn't apply to them. Um, that's, that's cheap grace to think it, that, that you can sin freely and then it's God's job to forgive you and not face the consequences of your actions. Um, I've used this example so many times you're probably sick of it, but if you cheat on your taxes, if the IRS comes after you, you don't get to say, God, why are you doing this to me? Um, we, it would be cheap grace if we got out of everything that we did. It, th- there are consequences to sin. Sin Sin is when we disobey the Lord. He does care about us. He loves us. That's why there are consequences. Don't don't let a lack of Assyrian armies fool you. God still wants us to follow him. He still desires for us to obey him. Following him, it's not about head knowledge. This is the problem that the church has gotten into if we're not careful. This becomes an academic book that isn't practical if we're not careful. This is a very practical book. It calls to us. God calls to us through this book to obey him. He wants us to follow him. What we do matters. The Lord disciplines us so that we will follow him. Let's keep going then in verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands and his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you, so that in the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. The Lord protects us, and we should praise him for that. When I read the Old Testament, I am amazed at the Israelites' lack of faithfulness. How do you walk across dry ground? How does God part the Red Sea, and you walk across dry ground, and then start worshiping golden calves? Ah, but I suspect that Back then, if they had the ability to look forward in time, they would say, you have 66 books of the Bible. We had none. How do you have access to the Word of God every single minute of your day that you can read? You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through Moses. You can open it at any time you want to and read the words of God, and they're perfect. How do you do that and then not live a godly life? I think we would have been just as bad back then as they are. I think that that's human nature. It's not only in the big miracles, like walking on dry ground, that we see God. It's in the little things in our life. There, and, and, and little things in their life. One, I think my, the verse that just amazes me, it, it, seem, it seems so minor. Moses says, your shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. That, 
I've had, I, I, you guys know I wear sandals everywhere, if I, if I bother to wear shoes. Um, I've had to be very careful. <laughs> sandals wear out quick if you're not careful, if you wear them as much as I do. And I hit a point where I was going through sandals two or three times a year and just had to finally find a brand and a style that I like that doesn't wear out quite so quick because I've had multiple blowouts in the same summer. Um, and, and the concept of shoes, sandals, and they didn't make them out of the rubber and the plastic and the things that we have today. They're sandals. You know, here we are talking about three 3,000 years ago. Their sandals lasted for 40 years. That may seem like a little minor miracle, but God was faithful not just in big things of parting the Red Sea to them, but the little things, like their shoes didn't wear out. God is present in the little things in our lives as well, but we always look for the big things, and I think that we ignore the little things. The Lord protects us all the time. Not just from the big things, but, but from the little things, the minor things in our life. Now, somebody's going to say, but what about those big things, Jason? There are Christians around the world. The, the church of Ethiopia is a pretty active and vibrant church, all things told. God, if this is, if this is such a, a, a place of faith, if the Ethiopian church is such a big deal, why for decades was that like one of the worst places on earth to live in with famine and, and drought and... Uh, the, God, don't you care about the Ethiopian Christians and what they're going through, the, 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 their struggles just to live? I mean, we still read about Christian schools getting attacked in Africa and, and students, these, these young girls, being kidnapped and carted off and, and, and no freedom. Uh, we read about people dying, sometimes dying for being Christians, and we say, God, where, where are you in this? But we have to learn to have a long-term view. We, we want God, not his stuff, not just his blessings. This is not a perfect world, and it never will be. Um, tragedies will continue to happen to Christians. Tragedies will happen in your life. It's ridiculous to think, because I'm a Christian, bad thing, I, I am now immune to bad things happening to me. This world is not fair. Earthquakes will still hurt people. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Earthquakes will still hurt you. If you live in a country like Ethiopia that's having a famine, the famine will still affect the Christians and the non-Christians. Bad things still happen to good people. Never confuse the gift for the giver. And again, I think that parents understand this. At Christmas time, we do want our kids to appreciate the gifts that we give them, but the gifts are only a reflection of the giver. And the point isn't the gifts, the stuff. The point is the love behind that, and God loves us. And God wants the best for us, but the Christian knows that the best for us isn't in this world that is broken and temporary. Revelation assures us there will be a new heaven and a new earth. This broken world is temporary, and we can't fix it. And it's not meant to be fixed. Not entire. That doesn't mean that we don't try to make the world a better place. Feed the poor. House the homeless. Um vote uh, for things that are moral. Uh, It doesn't mean that we don't try to make the world a better place. We just recognize that even doing our best, this world is still a lost cause. The people 
are what matter. And our, the job of the church is to bring people to Jesus. The job of the Christian is to bring people to Jesus. I'm not saying don't make the world a better place. Just recognize that you can only do so much with that. But bringing people to Jesus, now that, is, that matters and that is eternal. When we get the blessings that we want, when we pray and, and, and life is going well, we should praise God for loving us that he blessed us so. And when we don't get what we want, we still praise him. Because he is what we need. And, and no matter how bad things get in this life, if we're right with him, eternity will be wonderful. You know, what if, Jason, what if I'm, I'm, I'm dying and I'm in, I'm in, I'm in pain and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, That's where the book of Job really teaches us that when everything goes wrong, and even when we're in pain, we know that God is in control and he loves us, and we may not be having what we think is a fair time of it right now, but we don't want fair, we want grace. And God's grace means that he's preparing a home with him for us forever. For the Christian, death is a reward, even death. It's not something evil. To be absent in the body is to be in the presence of the Lord for the Christian, which is why Paul can say it's better for him to die and to receive his reward than to go on living. I, I, like, I like science fiction. You guys know that. I really like Christian science fiction writers. The two big ones, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, and C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, who were also like best of friends. Tolkien, right, rightfully so, put in his books that, that death was a gift to humanity because death allowed humans to live with God. Likewise, in the, in the Narnia books, uh, sorry, not in the Narnia books, in, in, in the Screwtape Letters, another book by C.S. Lewis. In the Screwtape Letters, Lewis refers to death as our transition into eternity. Yeah, I don't like, I don't like going to the doctor's. I don't like dentists in particular. Um, I'm not anti-dentist. I'm not anti-doctor. Um, I, I just don't enjoy the process, right? But it's for my own good. Going to the dentist is always kind of painful, but it's worth it in the long run. I've got my teeth. I'm grateful for those, right? Um, I don't like pain, but some pain is necessary to get me into a better place. I don't like shots or needles, at all, like pass out level. Um, last year has been spent trying to nail down thyroid levels, and and there's been a lot of blood work and a lot of passing out from needles, and and yet it's getting me in a better place, and I'm grateful for it. And so the short term pain is worth the long term gain. Our Christian life is like this. The Bible tells me that God will discipline me, but it's for my long term good. So I will praise God for the blessings that He's given me and praise Him. When I don't get what I want, but he's still teaching me what it means to rely on him, some situations are, are impossible. We have, this, we have this false idea that if I'm doing everything right, then life should go perfect. And that this false idea that, that, that if something's wrong in my life, I caused it, and if I'm doing everything right, then, then, then God owes me. But the world doesn't work that way. When you're doing everything right, things may still go wrong. But that's because this life is temporary. And there are lessons God is still teaching us to get us ready for eternity. Our closing hymn today is hymn number 456. Appropriately, I'd rather have Jesus. Have you made the Lord the center of your life? If not, I want to invite you to do so today. And I'd like to talk with you after church about what that looks like. Um, Accept the Lord, be buried with him in baptism, 
live a new life with him. This is his plan for us. If, that, if you haven't done that, I want to talk with you. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.